invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to the Gospel according to Mark. Mark chapter 9, beginning at verse 2. And while you're turning, I would like to uh, share a welcome to all of our scouts and our scout leaders. And one of the things that I'm always amazed at when our scouts are joining together, the parking lot is full, is how many adult leaders there are. And so thank you to all of you who invest and the lives of these young people. I just think that is an amazing ministry, an amazing gift, and we are grateful to all of you for your ministry. And while we're speaking of ministry with youth, as you know, uh, Meredith here is one of our youth ministers, and uh, Meredith had to go before our Conference Board of Ordained Ministry this past week. After you go actually in the United Methodist Church, you go before the Board of Ordained Ministry at least twice. Uh, and one of those is about the time you're finishing up your seminary, you're finishing up your master's degree, uh, you can, you'll go before the board, you're tested on your theology, you're tested on a variety of things, and you submit amazing papers. And then after that, after you've been in ministry for at least three years full time, you can go back before the board of ordained ministry uh, for the privilege of them being approved for ordination. Now, that's not some minor task because it's about 70 pages of paperwork of answering theology questions. You also prepare Bible studies. You prepare sermons. You video the sermons, video the Bible studies, answer all these theological questions. And, and then you go and spend a morning or an afternoon interviewing, defending your paper, defending anything. They can ask you anything about anything. And the good news is, is that the Reverend Meredith Hinton and her husband, Brad, who also went before the board, were both approved this week and will be ordained in June. And we celebrate that. So when you see her the end of June, 1st of July, she will be wearing a stole. Because when you are ordained, after the bishop has laid hands upon you and ordains you, when you stand, they then place the stole around your neck. So she uh, will be wearing a set of stoles here in the near future. We are very proud, though, of Meredith and uh, of all the ministry that she has in our church. But this is a major, major, major accomplishment. And the good news is she doesn't have to go back to the board. She will be done. Um, Mark chapter 9, beginning of verse 2. Mark writes, Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. 
Almighty God, we give you thanks for your holy word and for the privilege of studying it together. And now as I stand before these, your people, I pray that this would be your message and not my own through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to do you a favor and set my phone up here because some reason we've lost the time that normally is on these screens in front of me. Unless I get carried away and keep you till one, <laughs> I will periodically check the time. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke all share with us the story of the Transfiguration. God inspired them to write their Gospels, and for some reason, all three were inspired by God to include this event. It must be important. The question then becomes, why? Why is this important? And the church, the early church years ago, set aside a Transfiguration Sunday. It varies in a couple of different traditions, but... But a lot of times this Sunday, the Sunday before Ash Wednesday, Ash Wednesday is this coming Wednesday, we begin that 40-day season of Lent, the church set aside this Sunday to be the Sunday that, that we need to be reminded of the story. So what is so important about this scripture, this story, that the church said, you know, we, we should look at this every year from Matthew, Mark, or Luke. But, but what God does here is really important. What is so important in this scripture? Why is it that God wants us to hear this message? Mark starts telling the story and he tells us that, that it was six days later that Jesus went up on the mountain. So when you hear a scripture begin six days later, that's a reminder to go, well, what happened six days ago? We might want to go back. And, and, and what is it that, that Mark felt important to tell us the timing? Well, if you turn back to Mark chapter 8, some amazing things happened in Mark 8. For example, Jesus knows. He's starting to head toward Jerusalem. Jesus knows that he's about to be crucified. Jesus knows he's about to die. And knowing that, he wanted to know, do, do people know who I am? Do you even know who I am? Have you got it? And, and so then Jesus asked, who do the people say that I am? And he received some answers. But then Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Remember the story? It was Peter then who spoke up and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Matthew elaborates a little bit more than Mark does. Matthew said that it was, it was there that Jesus said, I'm going to change your name. Before he had been named Simon, I'm changing your name from Simon to Peter. Peter means rock. In other words, Jesus named him Rocky. I'm changing your name. You're Rocky. And it is upon this rock, this Petra, this big rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. Oh, Peter's got to be feeling good now. He called me Rocky. But then Jesus just a little bit later says, as we go into Jerusalem, you need to know I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be handed over to the chief priest. I'm, I'm going to be arrested. I, I'm going, I will be killed. I will be crucified. But three days later, I will rise again. And, and Peter, Rocky, sitting there going, this can't be. And, and what's interesting is, according to Mark 8, Peter actually rebukes Jesus. Now, that takes some nerve to rebuke Jesus. Now, we're not sure exactly what he said. Did he, was, was it more just, 
you know, Lord, no, please don't let that happen. We'll be with you. We... But Peter rebukes Jesus, and Jesus then looks at Peter and says, Get thee behind me, Satan. Satan! I mean, just earlier, he had changed his name from Simon to Peter, and now he's calling Peter Satan. The tempter, the adversary, the enemy, the one who seeks to thwart what God is doing. Can you imagine what Peter's feeling? I mean, for a moment there, I'm rocky, and the next thing you know, he's calling me Satan. And so they're all confused about what's happening. And Jesus said, you know, if, if you want to follow me, you're going to need to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Well, that wasn't what they had planned. This is the Messiah. This is... This is the one we've been waiting for. He was supposed to go set up his kingdom on the throne of David. He was supposed to go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem would be the capital. He, he would then all of a sudden give Israel all this prosperity and, and, and strength. They would have a great army. They would have great might. They would be able to do all kinds of things. This is not the way it's supposed to work. What do you mean a cross? You see, the cross didn't occur the first time with Jesus. The Roman government used the cross regularly. It was the death penalty choice of the day. And when someone would die on a cross, they would, they would put a placard above the cross to tell what you did. This person's a thief. This person, and they, it would go through and name what, what the various crimes, a murderer or whatever it was that they might have done. And, and the whole point was to be a deterrent to show, too, if you do what they did, you'll get what they got. So when Jesus says, take up a cross, the disciples are going, oh. Not exactly what I signed up for. I mean, you know, we've been arguing about which one of us gets to sit on your right and which one of us gets to sit on your left because we thought you were talking about like a kingdom kingdom. So they're confused. And so I think God knew I, we've got to do something. So Jesus takes with him Peter, James, and John, and they go up onto the mountain to pray. Peter, James, and John, they, they become that inner circle for Jesus. They're able to see things that nobody else gets to see. I mean, you might remember if you look back at Mark chapter 5, there's a story about Jairus who comes up and his daughter is very ill and about to die and wants Jesus to come and heal his little girl. But then the problem is, is Jesus gets delayed a few moments because someone else came up to him wanting to touch the hem of his garment and he spent some time talking to her. And, and then by the time he's finished, what you hear is, is that the little girl died. There's no need for you to go bother anymore. Jesus, you don't have to go to the house anymore. She's died. And, and Jesus said, but it's not too late. And if you look at Mark 5, it says that he didn't allow anyone else to go with him except for Peter, James, and John. Those three were able to see a miracle that nobody else got to see. They were able to experience something that no one else could experience. God's preparing them. I, I think God knew I'm going to need these to help hold this church together. And then you see in the Garden of Gethsemane, remember right before Jesus is arrested, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying. And, and who does he ask to go with him to pray? Peter, James, and John. Mark 14. They're the inner circle. They're, they're the close ones. So, so as they go up onto the mountain to pray, Jesus is going to pray. He invites Peter, James, and John to go with him. And, and when they get up there, all of a sudden Jesus is, is transfigured. All of a sudden is, he begins to, to have an aura about him and... And his clothes become dazzling white. As a matter of fact, the scripture says, so white that no one could bleach them. Now, if you actually look at the Greek that the scripture was written in, it says, so white that no fuller could have bleached them. 
because that was the job of, of the fuller back in the day was when you would take the wool from the sheep and, and you would spin it and then you, know, you would make a fabric. And, and once you had that, the job of the fuller was to bleach it white, was to, to bleach it out so that it would, it would look clean and white. In other words, what Jesus is saying here and what God is saying in the scripture is that, that Jesus became so dazzling white that there wasn't a dry cleaner in all of Charlotte that could have got him that white. That's what's being said. This was not human. This, this, was, this was a dazzling white that was divine any, but beyond anything you've ever seen. And while they're there, they get to see this. It's, it's kind of like a glimpse of God's glory. You see, they had seen the humanity of Jesus. But Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Paul tells us that Jesus had existed in the fullness of God's kingdom, but yet he didn't regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but rather he humbled himself, took on human form. They had seen the human form, but God gave Peter, James, and John a glimpse of the divine Jesus of the divinity of Jesus, the holiness, the glimpse of, the, of what Jesus will be like as the resurrected Jesus. So they're there, and then, lo and behold, who, who appears? Elijah and Moses. Moses, the great lawgiver, the one who, who gave to us the Ten Commandments, the one who, who went into Egypt and, and delivered the children of Israel away from slavery in Egypt and across the wilderness, across the Red Sea, and, and did all the amazing miracles, went up onto the mountain of God, got the Ten Commandments, shared them out. Moses was there. And Elijah, Elijah was the, the great prophet, and, and they get to see Elijah. And what's amazing to me is they recognized him. How did they know? They weren't around during their time, but, but we're not told that Jesus went, Peter, James, John, this is Elijah, this is Moses. Elijah, Moses, Peter, James, and John. I mean, you know what kind of get in it? They know. They know. And what's powerful about it, though, is, is that that during the time of Jesus, the scripture of the day was the law and the prophets. The law, Moses, the great lawgiver, the prophets, Elijah, the great prophet, pointing to God. What you have is the law, the, the law, the prophets, and now the Messiah, the Son of God. Peter, James, and John are able to see the story of God's salvation. The law the prophets, and now the Messiah that these two pointed to. And they're talking together. I'd love to know what they said. I mean, wonder what they were saying. This is going to be rough, Jesus. It's not going to be easy. But you're, you're saving the world. I, I wonder what they were saying. I'd love to have heard what they were saying. We're just told they were, they were talking to each other. And, and then Peter, poor Peter, he, Peter just doesn't handle silence well. I mean, Peter is the one that you know, just can't stand it if it's too quiet. I mean, notice that there are times when nobody's talking. Peter will go, Jesus, I got a question for you. Or if Jesus says, here's a question. Peter just can't bear the silence. After a while, Peter's going to go, I'll give it a shot. I'll, I'll try to answer. Peter can't stand it. And now they're up there and it's like, you got to do something. Got to say something. I mean, I can't just sit here. And so he goes up to Jesus and goes, I got this great idea. Why don't we just build, you know, we'll build, we'll build you three tents. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And I love the humility. He didn't build one for them. But one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And, and we'll just kind of stay up here. Let's just hang out right here. 
And I love Mark because Mark is, is so nice to Peter, but yet honest, he goes, you know, he didn't know what to say because they were terrified. In other words, if you put that in Southern, Mark said, bless his heart. <laughs> he didn't know what else to say. And, and so Jesus said, we, we, can't, we can't stay here. And while they're there, all of a sudden, a cloud comes around. You remember the cloud of the Old Testament, how God led the children of Israel when Moses went up on the mountain? That presence of God enveloped them, and all of a sudden, there's a voice from heaven that says, This is my son. This is my son. Listen to him. You know, it's interesting to pay attention to who God was talking to. I mean, who was God speaking to there? I mean, he, he wasn't speaking to Jesus necessarily because he didn't go, you are my son. So who was he speaking to? And Moses and Elijah, they got it. So God is telling the disciples, Peter, James, John, you need to know this. Now, how do you know I'm not making that up? Because if you turn back to Mark chapter 1, verse 11, when Jesus is baptized, when Jesus comes up out of the water and the heavens open, the Spirit of God descends in bodily form like a dove, and then God's going to say to Jesus, you are my son, the beloved, with whom I'm well pleased. But now he says, this is my son. Jesus already knows. God's already revealed to him. You are my son, the beloved with you I'm well pleased. But now to the disciples, this is my son. See, I, I think God was giving some amazing gifts here. He knew. God was intervening because the disciples and Jesus were turning to Jerusalem and, and it wasn't going to be an easy walk. I think God did this for Jesus too. I, I think it was a gift to Jesus. Because... Jesus is, is heading in to give his life, and, and it's not going to be easy. As a matter of fact, when he's there in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying, we're told that his agony was so great that he, he was sweating blood, sweating drops of blood through his skin. It's called hematidrosis, when you're in such agony that, that the sweat, just the capillaries burst open, and, and you start bleeding through your sweat. It was agonizing because sometimes I think we forget that, that Jesus so loved the world that he died for us, but that didn't make it easy. Sometimes I, I, I worry when we do our, you know, Holy Thursday, Good Friday services, and, and if we reenact it, you know, and Jesus comes in carrying the cross, it's like, it's like no big deal. You know, Jesus kind of cruising in, waving at mom. It wasn't quite that easy. Jesus agonized and prayed, God, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way, this is not going to be easy to do. And I, I think here, I think, I think God gave him this special gift where Moses and Elijah appear and, and there is, there's God saying, this is my son. And, and I wonder when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and I wonder while he was dying on the cross if, if he thought back to this day. I remember when Moses said, I remember when Elijah said, I remember when God said, you're my son, this is my son. 
with whom I'm well pleased. I, I think it was a gift for the disciples. The disciples were already confused. I mean, they, they were already struggling in, in Mark chapter 8, and, and Jesus hadn't even gone through a hard time yet. But just the very thought that Jesus was going to, to be crucified and die through them to the point that Jesus had to call Peter Satan. So I think God did this for the disciples too. I, I think God knew I'm going to need them to be able to lead the church. But when they see this Messiah, that, that they have this image of what this looks like, when they see him go through hard times, when, when they hear the movement from Hosanna with the waving of palm branches to crucify, that could throw them. That could mess them up. As a matter of fact, that could even lead you to deny Jesus like three times. So I think God gave the disciples a gift. When you see what's about to happen, I want you to remember this. This is my son, the one I dearly love. So I want you to listen to him. Even when you don't understand him, listen to him. Even when you can't figure out exactly where he's going, you follow him because this, this is my son. And I think, I think, Jesus did this. I think God did this for us. I think this story's for us too because it's, it needs to be a reminder of who we're following. Why are we here today? I mean, this morning, really early, my phone went off and I looked down and it said, lightning has been detected in your area. And I looked at my wife and I said, when are we going to get a Sunday that's not nine degrees, pouring down rain, or ice on the sidewalk? It's really hitting our attendance. You know, so welcome. I'm glad you all are here. But I mean, you know, why are you here? Besides the fact that it's Scout Sunday. But I mean, why else are we here? Why are we here to worship? Who is this Jesus? I think God wants us to know that this Jesus is more than just a good man. That this Jesus is more than just a great teacher. That this Jesus is more than just a great storyteller. And didn't he tell great stories? I mean, remember the one he told? You know, he told great stories. He's more than just a miracle worker. He's more than just one who can raise someone from the dead. But God wants us to understand that this Jesus who once again is heading to Jerusalem, this Jesus who dies on the cross, that the one hanging on the cross is none other than my son. This is my son, the one I dearly love. That's who you follow. I'm a Christian today, not because I looked at all the world religions and kind of went, you know, I think I can deal with Christianity. I think I'll just be a Christian. Of all the choices, I just think I'll do that. Now, I'm a Christian today because God himself declares here, this, this is my son, the beloved. So you follow him. You listen to him. I, I think that God gave us this amazing gift so that when we join together to worship, we know who we're bowing before. You know, when Peter, James, and John saw what was happening Matthew in particular tells us, but Mark tells us too, that they fell down in awe and reverence. When we bow down before God, this is who he is. So we join together and we worship and we listen. But then, I think we're a lot like Peter. Peter said, I think it's really neat that we're here. Why don't we just stay here? And this is a safe place. It's called a sanctuary for a reason. But we can't stay here. 
Jesus and the disciples were not meant to stay on the mountain, and the church is not meant to stay in the sanctuary. So we're going outside. And we're going to be Christian in a world that's becoming increasingly non-Christian. And that's, that can be a little bit challenging for us. It might even lead you, if you're not careful, to deny Jesus like three times. So I think God gives us this gift so that when we go out there and we're trying to live in a way that the rest of the world may not live and, and believe in a way that the rest of the world may not believe, that we're reminded, well, this is my son. He, he's the one I dearly love. So you listen to him even if you don't understand it and you follow him even if you don't fully get it why that's my son and the one who dies for you my son so follow him will you pray with me god we just we give you thanks for your love and grace and we give you thanks for the gift of the transfiguration because it's not always easy to follow Jesus. And sometimes we begin to see Jesus as just a good man or a good teacher or a miracle worker. And sometimes we're confused by the, not, the denial and taking up the cross. God, we're just grateful that you loved us enough. That you intervened and gave us this gift. You gave this gift to Jesus as he turns to Jerusalem and reminded him of your love for him, you, you gave this gift to the disciples so that as they followed and, and saw things they never dreamed, they would see that they would know this is, this is the son, this is my son. And you give us this gift as your church. And God, as your church, we follow you. We're unashamedly Christian. Why? Because you yourself declared, this is my son. This is the beloved. Listen to him. So we listen and follow you. And we follow Jesus as our Savior and as our Lord. And we pray in his holy name, now and forever. Amen.